Welcome to the Universe in a Glass. As always, we are joining you from the historic Line Hotel in the heart of Washington, D.C.'s Adams Morgan neighborhood. We are thrilled to be joined today by award-winning New York-based Filipino sommelier, writer, activist, non-alcoholic beverage impresario, Miguel de Leon. Uh, Miguel grew up in Manila. He moved stateside at 10 and graduated from UC Davis before he caught the wine and restaurant bug working at Berkeley's iconic Chez Panisse. Uh, he cut his teeth at some of New York's buzziest restaurants before landing his current job as wine director for Soho's Pinch Chinese. Miguel is also a gifted and widely published writer and podcaster, having covered everything from decolonizing tasting notes to his life in rice to holiday pairings to non-alcoholic wine. Thank you for joining us, Miguel. Thanks for having me, Bill. Uh, such you? an honor, sir. Um, for those of you listening for the first time, premise blessedly simple. We each have a, uh, a drink to share with each other. Uh, today, Miguel has brought his very own uh, collaboration with Proxies, a purveyor of um, kind of wine-adjacent, uh, you know, non-spirits alternatives. And uh, I have followed suit with a uh, homemade shrub or drinking vinegar uh, that we serve to begin the meal at Tail of Goat. We will taste through both of these items while riffing about life and wine, and then I will close our proceedings with a bit of verse dedicated to our guest. Now, typically we offer these items for sale at Reveler's Hour. Uh, is your line of proxies available to the general public at this point? Miguel? I'm not sure when, it, when this comes out, but uh, we do wide release on the 15th of October. You're, you're so fabulous. It's very exciting. And, and I'll, <laughs> I'll make sure we get our hands on some of this um, yeah. because uh, uh, the public should try it. Um, that will be available uh, eventually, uh, come hell or high water, at uh, Washington's premier wine and pasta bar, Washington's only wine and pasta bar, as far as I know, uh, across the street from our very Line Hotel studio. Uh, thanks again, uh, Miguel. A couple quick questions uh, before we dive in to your um, special collaboration with Proxies. Uh, how did food and drink shape your life growing up? in Manila. You are an honest-to-God immigrant. Um, yeah. you, you identify, right, as Filipino. Um, uh, culturally, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, my, my grandparents were from all over the place. So my, one of my grandfathers is like very Filipino, very, very like jungle Filipino. Another one, my, my grandmother is, one of my grandmothers is, was Chinese Filipino. And then my other grandmother was like Japanese by way of Brazil. <laughs> Oh, wow. So it's like you ate. So food and drink for me was that I never ate the same breakfast twice. That was always the oh, joke. Oh, that's wild. And it was always like it's eggs in some certain form or it's um, meat in some sort of fashion or it's rice with something that never looked like cereal or toast or anything. like. That. And if it did, there was always something alongside and it wasn't just those things. So like the idea of a continental breakfast to me was so foreign until I moved to. Was, uh, when, you fall, when you saw your first Continental, was it horrifying or exciting uh, to you? My, my grandmother looked at it um, and was like, that's not real food. Okay. She was yeah. like, you need, you need more than that. Like, that isn't real food. Um, uh, yeah, and, understood. Yeah, and then now, working in restaurants, it's like, I don't really eat until after 2 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually a cup of coffee and a glass of water, and I'm good to go yeah. in the yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it, it really introduced me into... Um, really being 
I was a I was a really picky eater when I was a child. I only ate like I've always I've always wondered that about food cultures like the Philippines. You know, there's such a diversity of you know, ethnic influences there. And mm -hmm. so much of the food is, you know, a lot of strong flavors. Mm -hmm. I think about my nephews who don't eat anything but dessert. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. No offense, um, uh, Calvin and Nick, but, uh, you know, is that an option? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was very, I was a very picky eater. So, like, I, was, I also had a sweet tooth growing up. So, breakfasts normally don't look sweet. Um, but if they do, they're always, there's always, like, a left field, kind of thing thrown in there, right? So we have this really delicious chocolate porridge called champurado that we usually like make with like baking chocolate. Oh wow. Um, and it's baking chocolate and it's rice and it's turned into like this like congee but chocolate. It's kind of wild too. I mean, I love that for the sake of, you know, the former Spanish empire, you have yeah. this, uh, you know, dialogue between Mexico and the Philippines Absolutely. at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we, we usually gussy that up with like evaporated milk but there's always something savory in there, so we usually ate it with like salted fish. My nephews need to know about this, with the exception of the salted fish. I oh, don't no, think no, they'd no, be into no. that. I, but, I, uh, you, you should give it a chance. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty awesome. <laughs> fish um, and chocolate, that's crazy. Yeah, and then growing up, uh, or like kind of like trying to find the nostalgia for that now, I look, I, I look for like very good spicy Spanish olive oil instead of the fish to kind of like oh, do cool. that kind of thing. It's, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing because Obviously, like the, the flavors, like you said, they're punchy, they're, they're upfront, but you, especially after working with wine for so long, you kind of want something that's a little less taxing on the palate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, um, uh, you know, it's like drinking light beer at the end of a shift. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then obviously, also because of the Spanish influence, you know, we've got a lot of um, like translations of what those um, pastries could look like. Yeah. Uh, so there's, you know, very interesting tropical ingredients, coconut jam. Um, pandan leaf, mango, um, next to things that look like pan chocolat or um, maybe even just like, you know, turnovers. Yeah. That's so cool. And do you have, you know, kind of visceral memories as a kid of, you know, the pot always on boil, you know, yeah. activity always in the kitchen? Absolutely. You know, you're Absolutely. tagging along to wet markets or? Yeah. My grandmother used to take me to wet markets. She would like do her full beat, her, her full face would be like made up. Oh wow! Um, and she dressed you don't, up. You don't go to the wet market without you know. Not full without your face. Why would you? Why would you? Oh, want, heard, heard. Why would you want to do that? I, I don't know. She, I don't know if like the wet market's like the gym where it's okay <laughs> to. It's like a safe space to you know. Well, she was also kind of like a regular, right? Oh, so, heard. So every, every day, every other day, she would go to the wet market. She'd do her face. Um, How long did that process take? Fifteen minutes. She had. Oh, that's routine. good. That's that's pretty good. And then she'd instruct me to grab um, her bayong. A bayong is kind of like a wet market bag. Okay. It's, it kind of looks like a rattan bag, um, so that everything can just kind of like you can put anything in there. It's like the OG tote. Okay, but but it's not not waterproof. No, absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. Like things can drip out of it, and that's kind of the point. Um, and after those kinds of experiences, you know you. you She's very meticulous about what kind of, which cut of chicken she wanted or which fish she wanted what, for the did day. Did you have the classic experience of she had like one person she brought a particular you oh, know, yeah. thing from and oh, then, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, there's a, there's a, an herb, I don't know, an herb, a green, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the Philippines called malungay. Yeah. Um, it, it looks like, uh, it, I, the, oh, the closest thing I can think of is that it looks kind of like, um, uh, the the stuff that goes on the top of a pond. 
Oh, heard. Um, uh, I like, think, I think like a people, lily pad or kind just of like a smaller, but let's, I okay. think people call it moringa. Oh, maybe? interesting. Um, anyway, I can think like nasturtium leaves sometimes. They kind of like, like that, yeah, but like yeah. they float on water. Yeah. Um, or watercress, something like that, but okay. just like looser. Heard. Um, kind of the same flavor profile, a little nutty, um, kind of like spinach, but better. Yeah. Um, and she had one person that she would go get that from. And it was only around for so long, and she would only say, you know, we got to pick it up at 10 o'clock, otherwise all the good ones are going to be gone. Oh, wow. And so even earlier, she would wake up. Uh, or if it's a, a certain kind of, like, fish season, she knows. She would, like, that's what we're going to get today. Yeah. Um, the other thing was that uh, she was very meticulous about um, kind of just, like, touching everything. Oh, and interesting. So I was, yeah. The, there's, a, there's a really great word that she taught me, which is... Um, uh, in, in Filipino, there's this, there's this notion of tancha. And tancha is kind of like the same thing as like if I were to tell you, like, Bill, you should just eyeball that as a measurement, right? But it's more about like, you should feel when it's right, is oh, more the yeah, expression. Yeah. And so that's, that's down to things like, you should just feel when the rice is done. Okay. Or you should just feel when that meat is finished. Yeah. And that's, that's how she taught me how to... She it's like an internal barometer. Try, yeah, it's trying to like internalize the, the thermometer, for yeah. example, you know, and just trying to be like, ah, like that's, that's when it's ready, that's yeah, when yeah. it's good. So it was a lot of that. It was a lot of very, very visceral. I remember the first thing, one of the first things that she taught me was how to cook rice. And like we had this giant drum of rice in the front room. And she said, put your, put your whole hand in there. She's like, I want you to feel like it's gonna, it's super cold and it's really nice. That is and, a cool feeling. Yeah, and she's like, feel this because what you want is the exact opposite of this. And so that gets your mind going when you're yeah. like seven, eight. And she's like, this is the one thing that you need to know how to cook is this. Yeah. And you gotta feel this and the opposite of what this feels like, and then you're golden. Yeah. So that was that was a really really interesting lesson to kind of put everything else that she taught me how to cook into perspective. So food was always an essential part of the fabric of your kind of day-to-day -day life. Oh yeah. yeah, especially because I was such a picky eater. Like yeah. if they would just try, have me try everything and they'd try maybe something half a time. Yeah. I'd be like, no, not, not in the mood. And then literally about the time when I was moving to the United States, um, all this new food was being introduced to me, right? Like, Did they finally break you down, or uh... I don't know if it, I don't know if it broke me down. I think it was just like really like the curiosity got the better yeah. of me. I was like, "What is Dr Pepper?" Oh, fascinating! And kind of all these things at the same time. I was like, "You should just eat everything else that's yeah. coming along here." I was like, "Okay, I guess," you know. So a lot of like very, um, I guess a classic Americana food. It was the first time I was uh, first time I tasted ranch dressing. Oh, fascinating! First, yeah. So all of those things, I was like, "Okay, like this is." Like this is good, yeah. um, and then kind of that—that's how I branched out to become like a better eater, yeah, and be very, very omnivorous. But you're still in Manila at this point. Oh, I like I had just—I think I just about I had just moved. To okay, the United okay. States. Now, what were you drinking uh, along with you know all of this fabulous all homemade food? Um, we let's see. So the Philippines has its own kind of version of agua fresca. Oh, cool. Um, but again, with the fruits that are kind of around. So we would take, you know, things like cantaloupe, um, put that in with some water and sugar. Yeah. A lot of ice, and that's like your summer cooler. Yeah. Uh, coconut water, um, calamansi, which is Filipino lime, which I think a lot of folks should be familiar with now. It's kind of like... It's, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it hasn't, I don't think it's, 
it hasn't had its like yuzu moment yet. I but feel it's, like, oh, yeah, it's coming up. I feel like there's, I feel like there's three Filipino <laughs> ingredients that are always on the verge of like what's next, right? It's calamansi, ube, and pandan. Okay. And to me, pandan is like a little bit more Southeast Asian because okay. there, you have it in Malaysia, you have it in Indonesia. Calamansi is a little bit more specific. Yeah, yeah. And then ube absolutely specific, but yeah. ube's pretty. You don't think you don't think bitter melon's ready for its breakout or I, <laughs> I mean I I honestly don't know if if a lot of people are ready for bitter melon. <laughs> I love bitter melon personally. But then again, apparently if you like bitter foods, you're a psychopath. So oh, really? there you go. <laughs> I, I wear that I wear that with pride, man. Um, uh, so uh, do you have any memory of you know Relatives, older relatives, you know, drinking alcoholic beverages with yeah, uh, with food. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, not wine. Yeah, not wine. Absolutely not wine. To me, wine and America are somewhat intertwined. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. But to me, growing up, it was always my grandfather had a bottle of Cutty Sark on the cupboard. Oh, heard. Um, there was always a bottle. I guess maybe some wine because there was always a bottle of very pretty Perrier Jouet Belle Poque inside the cupboard that they never touched. That was that ornamental, or was that like absolutely you know? <laughs> I know there was something in there, and okay. I kind of was curious, but I never. Was there like a stated occasion you were waiting for, or was this like? Uh... I I mean I wasn't waiting for it. Okay. They were. Heard. I don't know what they were waiting for. Heard. For as long as far as I know, it's that bottle probably still. In the were we like waiting for rapture? Is this like a waiting for Godot kind yeah. of moment? The yeah. Queen. I don't know. Something. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that could yeah. have been. That could have been. Yeah. 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 Something. It Heard. was. It like it was that bottle was next to the fine china in the cupboard. Oh, I like that. So it was like all right, like. That's something special. That's something yeah. that we should be looking yeah, yeah. at. Uh, brandy, gin, um, beer uh, yeah. was a big one. Um, like a lot, a lot of beer. Okay. Um, but that's that's because it just was like big, ubiquitous international lagers. It was cheap. Well, it was it, it's especially Filipino and San yeah. Miguel is like the big one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I have a feeling that I was named after that beer rather than the other way around. <laughs> so, um, so that that was a really a, a really interesting kind of like drinking scene, right? Like. Um, the, one of the last times that I visited the Philippines, I was very grown up, and it was the first time that I was like drinking like cocktails and things like that out there. Yeah. And contextually, my parents were like, "That's like that's a lot of strong drink." I was like, "You've been you drank a case of beer last night, and how are you okay? Because <laughs> I could drink maybe one, two <laughs> beers, and I I'm good." Yeah. I was like, "Hi, the the difference in terms of how they treat those products is very, very strange." Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a there's a really strange relationship to alcohol, I think. Yeah. And I think that comes with you know a colonial mentality, the Spaniards, etc., Catholicism. Yeah. Um, but also the fact that just like my family, like it wasn't an everyday thing; it was always a social thing. Yeah. So you know, if you had if you had company over. Then the alcohol would come out, but yeah. never just with the family. Never just flying solo. Mm-hmm. Um, now you referenced, you know, kind of the introduction of these various more Western products to your diet sure. when you when you moved here. What did you think of? I mean, you're old enough to tend to kind of like have a working relationship with Filipino food, mm-hmm. and then coming here, you know, was it really exciting for you to try all this, you know, continental breakfast, you know, <laughs> kind of style yeah, I cuisine, mean, or was it just like you know, kind of stifling, limiting, not to have the things that you were used to. No, I mean, it was, it was more exciting because I was younger. I think, like, yeah. you know, it was very much like 
you mean the whole, there's a whole aisle of cereals? Oh, okay. You know, I was like, oh, it's not just, it's not just. You never thought, like, do we need a whole, a whole aisle No, because, because Frosted Flakes are delicious, yeah, Bill. Well, I mean, it's, it's true. And, and, <laughs> and, I mean, they are, I mean, there's, a, there's an evolutionary basis for, you know, marketing sugar exactly, to young children. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, uh, but then, but then you, you grow up a little bit, and then Cinnamon Toast Crunch is in front of you, and what are you going to do? Uh, I know, I know. So th- that, and, then, I think that, and then suddenly you meet the marshmallows from Lucky Charms, yeah, and it's exa- all over. Exa- yeah, exactly, it's all over. It's all over. Yeah. Uh, and then next thing you know, you have Cocoa Puffs that it's like, oh, chocolate for breakfast. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so really when I was, when I think when that thing was kind of happening, I was very, very curious more, more than anything rather yeah. than nostalgic, but it takes, it takes a certain amount of distance for me to get really nostalgic for that stuff. And I think when I moved up to college, that was one of the first times where I was like, I got to learn how to do that. Otherwise yeah. I'm never going to learn. Who was the cook in your immediate family when you came stateside? Oh, my mom. Yeah. It was my mom. I was lucky to have my grandmother here, um, her mother. Yeah. Um, to cook, um, and they came from a region that's like pretty well renowned in terms of just cookery in the Philippines. Uh-huh. So uh, you know, my grandmother would ferment catfish in her fridge. Um, my mom would teach me how to like uh, how to make something a little bit fancier when you put like banana blossom in it. So it was it was very much like a here's how we here's how we make it really really nice. Yeah. Like, here's a VIP plate of that is what we would always say. Oh, that's awesome. Now is the are those roles, you know, kind of gender, you know, kind of determined in, in uh, I, I don't or know. kind of gendered rather in, in Filipino I culture? Mean, they're, they're, I mean, it's funny, right? Like before, before the Spaniards came, um, even in our native, in our very, very native language in Tagalog, for example, there's no gendered third person pronouns. It's just, oh, Sha. It's Sha all Filipinx. Yeah. Sha is like the word, right? So Sha means like he, her, Person, that person, yeah, that one over there, yeah, yeah, Sha. And I feel like easy. I feel like pretty much all Western languages are moving in that direction now. Yeah, but I mean to grow up like that, and then also, but but then at the same time to have a very like codified layer of gender of like patriarchy. That. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why somebody calls themselves a Filipina now, right? Like versus a Filipino, mm-hmm. and that's because of you know structures that were in place for 300 plus years. But at the same time. Um, those things reify these roles, these gender roles. It's like that the women should be in the kitchen, that the men should be earning their keep. But at the same time, it's also like, well, the priests are the ones who are keeping us oppressed, and, and the governors are taxing us. So who who are we actually yeah. to consider as like free, quote unquote? Yeah. So well, there's, there's layers to well, it. All. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. then and, and I think it's funny now that you know um, the uh, the the uh, overseas workers that are Filipino. Um, tend to be split down the middle, men and women. Um, but you can kind of see the sectors that they're going in. Men go into manual labor, things like engineering, construction, yep. and then women go into things like nursing, health care, child care, teaching. Yep. So it's very clear kind of like what, what that structure has put into place now yep. because that still happens. Um, yeah, I mean, find me after this, and we can talk about the 1960s Nurses Act that the United States imposed on us, well after colonialism, yeah. and that's still within modern memory. But those things, those things continue to kind of bring up, bring up the idea that you know we were a resource for something, yeah. and gender is part of that conversation because yeah. it was necessary to kind of keep these power structures in place. Um, wandering into the kitchen, though, you know, do you mm-hmm. feel like? Um, you know, there was a place for you. Do you feel like, you know, oh, you yeah. were kind of flouting, you know, gender roles at all for the sake of doing that? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think, I think within the family, like we're very proud to, 
to know how to cook. Yeah, yeah. Like it was almost, it's almost always a competition at Thanksgiving to be like, oh, nice. who's, got, who's got the cool thing that they're bringing this time? Um, <clears throat> when, I, when I got my kind of wine badge, oh my God, like it, I was like, it's over for you folks. I was like, <laughs> I was like I'm going to show you Lambrusco and you're going to shut up. Oh, nice. And the entire family was like, what is this? We, we need it next oh, year. Nice. So I was like, yeah, I was like, hello, here's a superpower. <laughs> nice. So have you, have you created your own market of wine drinkers? A little uh, bit, a little family? bit. That's yeah, amazing. yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. It's, it's also nice to kind of have people graduate from things like Arbor Mist. Yes, this is true. To to actual well, and wine. you know that's that's kind of unfair for for your <laughs> sake. I mean, you are bringing a you know a gun to a knife fight. Hey, the, yeah. but but you know what? Like the the cred stays, and next thing you know, your mom's bragging about you to her Facebook yeah. chat, and it's like, hey, you've gotten seven other people requesting you how to buy the, this kind of wine, that kind of wine. It's now, like, um, uh, this is kind of a it's a bit of a leap, but. Um, uh, you got a degree uh, from UC Berkeley, and I, I imagine your family was hugely proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you decided to go into the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, you leveraged. They were, they were not immensely proud of. Well, that. I read. I actually read that. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, you tell the story of your mom. You know, you you came out um, as as queer, and your mom kind of took that in stride. And then you came out as a sommelier, and she was like. Have you thought this over? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like, are you sure? Yeah. Is, yeah, that, yeah. is that actually what you want? Yeah. And it was, it, that was the harder conversation of the two, and that's true. Um, I think still to a little bit, she's still kind of like, she's still holding out hope yeah. that it's like, the, he's going to be a male worker or like a, a, <laughs> a politician. So that'd be like, no, like, no, actually not. But it's, um, I think part of it's that like they've never... Look, we always say this, right? And and I think in honor of like Filipino American History Month, right? We are the wildest dreams. Are we? Of are we in the midst of it? We, it started yesterday. Uh, I didn't two even realize. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. guys got October. That's a good yeah. month. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good month. I mean, that's like the the old the old bromide with like Black History when you get the shortest month of the year. Hey, uh, you know, but. And it's Halloween. Come on, like that's come on. We're, strong. We're doing okay. That is like thirty-one days. They give yeah. you thirty-one whole days. Yeah, yeah. I mean they owe us. <laughs> <laughs> they they owe a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, but Filipino American History Month, like, was a, that was a that was a that's a really interesting kind of like segue into that like um, this this kind of mentality that that we that you've just brought up. You know, there's a big kind of generational difference about like what success means. Yeah. And for a lot of our younger, for our older folks, I think. That means like financial security, job stability, and for us, it means a little bit more like creative freedom. Well, I think um, it's I think like, it's also like freedom to pursue, you know, whatever you want. Yeah, it's it's, it's but it's living with a capital L, right? And like, I think that that's that's the way that we have been approaching it as Filipino Americans. It's only in this country that we get that kind of freedom because of the kind of navigation that we've we've gone through, and also because of the history that we carry on our back, which is like way, way, way less of a burden than actually being in the Philippines, right? There's privilege attached to that, clearly. Um, but I also think that like, there's an expectation that we get to buck when we're here. Yeah. And I'm really proud of that. Like whenever, every time, every time someone's like- you, you feel like it's easier to buck here than it would be if you were living in the oh, Philippines. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Like if I were to stay, if I had stayed in the Philippines, I'd probably be teaching. Huh. Um, or trying to get myself into law school or doing something along those lines. Like I, my grand, my dad was a civil engineer. My grandfather was, uh, was an operations engineer for DocWorks. I would have been an engineer probably if, if that had gone the way that it had gone. But here, you know, I, I could give my mom my diploma, tell her this is yours to hang up in your living room and I never want it. And it's like, that's for you. 
and the rest of my life is mine. Yeah. And like that's, to say that out loud, it feels a little brazen. I would never say that to her face, but I feel comfortable enough where I think like, she's gonna hear about it and she's gonna be like, yeah, that's, that's, you, that's fine. You feel like you paid your dues. And I, now, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it, I think it's less paying your dues and just kind of figuring out that like, you could never have imagined this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the best version of that, right? Yeah. Like it's, yeah, the, yeah. it's the very positive version of what that phrase actually means. It's the, you know, it's like the possibility that a previous generation didn't even dream of. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, for the sake of your kind of narrative arc, uh, that now encompasses your own branded um, uh, wine alternative for the sake of, of proxies. So yeah. um, uh, tell us what you brought, sir. This is hugely exciting. Yeah, so Acid League, um, the, the purveyors of things like living vinegars and, and dressings and things like that. Um, they have this line called proxies, which are wine alternatives, um, really thinking about uh, the space that wine occupies for wine drinkers and then thinking about what that means if you don't drink alcohol or if you're just trying to be a little bit more mindful about what your consumption is, right? So proxies aren't de-alcoholized wine, it's basically the base is uh, juice from wine grapes. So for example, the one that I brought you is the collaboration that, that I've started with them. It's a collaboration called Vinta. Um, and it's the base is Riesling juice with some pineapple, a little bit of peach marmalade to remind you of that mango vibe. And then they've strengthened it with uh, Nepalese black tea and some jasmine tea to give you some tannin, some body, and then some herbs to kind of round it out. So things like holy basil, nettle, and pandan to give it that very Filipino stamp. I told them, I was like, I want wine that looks like a sunset, that drinks like orange wine, um, but is its own thing altogether. And as, as somebody who's a practitioner, and I think you are too, of like very minimal intervention, very natural style wines, I think the pandan, especially on the aftertaste, gives it that like, zero sulfur kind of flavor almost like that very yeah it's, it's a little um it's a little savory you yeah. know yeah there there is this um you know we talk uh, a lot in the context of tasting wine about you know minerality and and you know uh, it's not unique to it's not unique to wine and um the thing i like about the proxy stuff is um you know they're you know i, I think it's you know first and foremost i think it's important to you know not drink every day. Of course. <laughs> and, and, and equally, you know, if, if you love drink, you know, it can be hard to do that if it feels like the only alternative is, you know, water. And yeah. um, it, it's nice to kind of engage, you know, that same, you know, kind of you know, corner of, mm-hmm. of your brain and, and try something that's dynamic and interesting. But, you know, to me, you know, there, there are good, you know, non-alcoholic beers. Uh, like uh, I keep a, like a sixer of the athletic like IPA yeah. at home, which is pretty fucking very delicious. Good. There's also Al's. If you haven't tried Al's yet, Al's is very good. It tastes just like PBR. It's, it's, it's strong. And, and those are like, honest to God, you know, Brutus beer and then, you know, stripped of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I've yet to try a wine that is de-alcoholized that... Um, pools off the same feet. Um, you know, wine, to my mind, just loses too much of its soul yeah. for the sake I of mean, that. Let's, that let's, let's think process. about it just on, on sheer numbers, right? You're, for beer, you're losing maybe 4 or 5% of what the thing is in terms of alcohol, yeah. weight, total volume. And then for wine, that can go all the way up to about 14%. 
14% is a lot more. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a lot more flesh to cut off. And not just that, but like you're losing way more things in that 14%, yeah. right? Alcohol gives us weight, structure, this like sugar feel, anything, all of these things that kind of compound that like feeling of drinking wine. And I think that's why it's so nice to have something that isn't that, but approximates yeah, very I, well. I like, the, I like the metaphor of all. So like, you know, if you think about, you know, those things as, you know, you're starting at 100% and you're trying to strip as little as possible, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is, is more about building up, you know, mm-hmm. so you're, you're trying to construct something, you know, that is a loving homage to. And, yeah, it's, and, a, it's, a rever- it's reversing the tasting note. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah. And, and it's a really, I think, um, I've tried to, you know, play around with these things myself. Um, uh, there are a few actually, actually books that I, I really adore. Um, one um, we'll get to eventually about um, my uh, tipple of choice of the shrub, but uh, uh, this writer Julia Bainbridge wrote this awesome yeah. book called uh, Good She's Drinks. Great. Yeah, and um, she has several recipes for non-alcoholic like bitters. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for kind of like a non-alcoholic pims, for a non-alcoholic vermouth, or or you know Campari and stuff like that, and um, those are really fun to um, to try to make yourself. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm also coming at it. I, it this hits close to home. My husband's sober, um, and so for it, it's 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 been a deliberate choice. And it's like, yeah, the irony is like I'm a psalm and he is absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he also works at a brewery, so it's like very. He's adjacent to alcohol the whole time, and it's like, it we don't we don't do the same thing we used to, but like we don't. Um, but I still want to have that same kind of very pleasurable experience that I'm looking for in terms of complexity, in terms of like flavor layering, in terms of something that like I can think about. I want I want that. I'm always about drinks that are at the intersection of thinky and drinky. <laughs> you know what I mean, um, and. I, I, I foresee like an infographic yeah, in the yeah, future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's thinky and drinky and chug, like it's a chuggy or buggy, right? Um, but for, for, for all of those things, I think like this hits a really specific mark because both he and I can enjoy it. Um, he's getting something out of it that like is reminiscent of an experience that he used to have. And for me, it's something that like comes very close, if not parallel to a lot of wine experiences. Sometimes proxies are just better than some wines that are out there and let's be honest oh, there's like a lot of shit not, wine out there yeah and it's, it's not hard to find right and it's I think at this point having been radicalized by a place like Chez Panisse <laughs> to say that your dollar goes a long way in terms of voting with your with your dollar for like yeah. what goes inside your body like this is I think a really wonderful dollar no totally yeah absolutely so. and um, uh, I like the ritual of it too so yeah. um, obviously um, you know those of you listening can't appreciate the packaging but uh, it's packaged like a wine bottle, complete with like the hipster natural wine approved wax um, adorning <laughs> adorning the cork. So um, you know, and and I think of so much of what people get attached to and, and miss. Um, you know, sometimes about drinking is that ritual. You know, it's like a mm-hmm. former smoker who misses yeah. the ritual of breaking out a a cigarette, and to have something like that, you know, um, returns. Yeah. You know, a bit of that you know performance to you, and then. Uh, it's equally, it's kind of funny, uh, there's this New Yorker piece on the folks behind athletic and non-alcoholic beer in general, and uh, there was a, a study, actually, of, of people um, drinking non-alcoholic. This is former beer drinkers who drank non-alcoholic beer, and um, the non-alcoholic beer had this placebo effect for the sake of, you know, uh, putting them at ease. Yeah, and just relaxing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so... I feel like this fulfills some of that, some of the same function, and 
I equally, think so. It equally gives you something that's that's interesting and dynamic. Yeah, um, I think so. I yeah. mean, we we serve this. We serve proxies at the restaurant at Pinch, for example, um, in full on full set wine glasses. We treat it just like it's wine. And for a lot of people, they're like, "Oh no, no I'm not drinking today." It's like we know, <laughs> we know you're not drinking today. That's why we're that's why we're doing this for you. Yeah, like, totally. This is the thing that we're doing, and they they look at it. They look at the product. For most of them, they've either never seen it before or they're very familiar with it. And so I think it's really cool to be able to introduce something in that line where you're like, "Hey, this is something that you should be taking a look at." I don't think that they have this out yet. I think it's really really tasty, and it's meant for food. It's meant for this kind of occasion. I like challenging people in that kind of notion that they think that non-alcoholics stay in their own lane or that it's something for your home bar, but they have a space. Like, totally. You, we have, right, I think in the idea of like full, the fullest, warmest hospitality that we can offer as people who are in restaurants, right? The seat at the table is for you, and I want to make sure that that table sets the right way, and whether or not that looks a certain way or that feels a certain way or I'm serving you something, that means that there's something for you at my space. Um, so, you know, you can come in with your allergies, you can come in with you know, with your restrictions, if you're pregnant, if you're just not looking to drink that night, there's still something interesting to offer you that, that is right here. And I think that's really great that this category is just growing and growing. It's, it's, it's a good parallel to the thing that like the drinks world needed, which was just radical inclusion. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think um, there's a lot of talk of wellness you know, throughout, mm -hmm. throughout pandemic, but sometimes that gets twisted for the sake of something like wine into this you know, license for, you know, overindulgence, sure. um, which is, you know, sure. you know, sometimes can feel wellness adjacent, but actually is the opposite of oh, wellness. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, natural, <laughs> natural wine is like the big poster child yeah, of that, exactly, right? exactly, exactly. You like, know, it no can't get a hangover. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, no additives, yeah. no, no nothing. Um, but then at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's still 13% alcohol, guys. Yeah, like. yeah. And, 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 you know, alcohol is a useful way to relax, but, you know, it is a, a dangerous one, mm -hmm. uh, none, nonetheless. It's a little bit like the sun. You know, it could be warming, but if you fly too close, you know, your wings melt. And, That's why um, you wear sunscreen every day. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you know, um, those of us in the wine trade, you know, increasingly realize that it's equally important to, you know, create distance, you Absolutely. know, uh, for ourselves at times. And, um, you know, this, to my mind you know, eases that transition a little bit. Um, and it gives you all something to, to look forward to that's as dynamic as the thing that you love. I mean, do you like it? It's fucking awesome. Um, it's really you're, cool. You're one of the first, like, 20 people I'm hugely, to I'm hugely honored. I've, I've played around with experiments like this um, uh, in, in the past, particularly with tea. Yeah. Because um, I love what tea does in the context of a... And, um, Especially on the on the nose and on the mid palate, the tea is kind of like the, uh, um, but you know the the herbaceousness of it comes out on the finish. You know, you kind of it's like uh, I like to you know for the sake of the staff talk about you know tasting as this three act play. So you have the attack, the mid palate, and the finish. And um, you know, to my mind, uh, you know, drinking this, you know, the the attack is that bright acid streak. It's that bright fruit, you know, from the the wine base. The mid palate is is a little more texture for the sake of the tea, and then the, the finish is this like herbal you know kind of saline streak and. Um, yeah, I, I really adore it, and I've already pounded, you know, two glasses of it. Um, <laughs> what I really like about this project was that, uh, so Charlie and Peter, the people who helped shepherd this project to life over at Acid League and Proxies. Uh, Canadians. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, my biggest challenge to them was that I want, I want something, wine does this to me, and there's some certain wines that I do this with. It's like, if I can just have a bowl of rice, a bowl of plain white rice, and this thing, and that can be good. We've, we've hit it on the head. Oh, nice. So, because, you know, the, the, thing, the things that are most simple tend to be the most complex, right? Like, there's a reason why we do that with soy sauce. 
there's a reason why we do that maybe with Worcestershire sauce. Mm -hmm. And like, it's the tiniest thing, but it makes the biggest difference because you want it, it's the difference between Moorishness and something that's just a little too much. Yeah. And I like that they pushed it here because it feels like, it, I feel like I want food with it. But at the same time, I'm like, I can be thinky with it in that very wine bar moment of like, this is, this is something that's interesting. I've never had this before. It engages me in a really, obviously in a very kind of like upfront way. Um, but I, I'm, I'm always curious about, like, for example, for someone like you, who maybe doesn't have these kinds of references that I'm looking at when I taste this and say, what are you getting? Like, what do you, where, where does this take you? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, to me, the hardest thing to match for the sake of a non-alcoholic drink, especially in wine that, you know, we've, you know, already uh, mentioned, you know, it's just higher ABV, is, mm -hmm. is that sensation of weight on the palate. And um, there are different ways around that for the sake of non-alcoholics, but this manages that really beautifully. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, it doesn't seem insipid or wan or, you know, um, you know, kind of one-dimensional. Um, uh, it satisfies all the needs that a wine would. You know, it it actually reminds me quite a bit of some orange wines that I've had. Yeah, awesome. especially that's good. Especially <laughs> some, especially some like you know, like like natty and sulfur orange wines. Um, yeah. Uh, um, you know, maybe with a little bit of VA. Um, yeah. But uh, um, you know, it's it's also clearly different in yeah. a, in, a, in a really satisfying way, and, and I I dig that. Um, you talked about you know my frame of reference, my my tasting notes for the sake of this wine. Um, you've written about that extensively for the sake of, yep. you know, decolonizing, um, you know, the industry, decolonizing this process of throwing associations and adjectives and stuff at, at wine. What does that mean to you? And why is it so important? It's really important because language is so powerful, right? And, and I think language is the thing that drives how we think about this every day, right? The, the linguist in me talks about this idea called the superior war of hypothesis, right? So what you speak defines what your cultural viewpoint is. We can't prove it. It's just the thing that we know probably happens, mm -hmm. right? Um, but at the same time, like as someone who grew up very multilingual, like there are things that English you just, being your third language, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't translate something sometimes, and it, that's okay too. Yeah. But the fact that 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 the human experience allows that to exist means that we're we're denying something, or maybe we're not even just lo looking past something if it exists and we're not talking about it. Do yeah. you see? So that gloss for me has always existed. And to, to kind of bring that up to wine, we're, we're sticklers for, for standardization in this, in this industry, right? We like having our knowledge be defined by law. I don't know that that's unique to wine. I no, think no, it, no, but, it, but I think it definitely exacerbated it, considering sure, Burgundy sure. and Bordeaux, et cetera, et cetera. Well, but, it's a particular cultural context in which this thing emerged and you know, hasn't really broken out of. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so we're still, we're still kind of obsessed with this idea that like, if the law says that's what it is, that's the way that it should be. And it's like, well, if you think about it, wines also had a very human evolution. You know, The way that we think about things like Barolo now look completely different to the same person who was thinking about Barolo 100 years ago. Well, they weren't. They were probably thinking about Alto Piemontesi wines. 150 yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? We can't think about Pinot Grigio the same way, right? Pinot Grigio for us maybe looks like water today, but then there's times where it looks like pennies. It looks as beautiful as your non-alcoholic uh, Exactly. Yeah, so so there's, there's moments where I think like this kind of evolution also needs to be put up you know, wine education isn't static, no. and it shouldn't be. And I also think that it can't be so like romantic about the histor the historicity of it. Mm -hmm. So yes, absolutely, we can reference and be historical, right? We can say that we can say absolutely that Bordeaux influenced Rioja, 
But we can move past that too. We can say, well, Rioja's not there anymore. And what's Rioja doing about climate change, for example? That's part of the conversation. That's something that we should be speaking about as people who are being educated in wine in a modern context. But we, we, we barely do, right? Yeah. I, I talk about wine education, for example, a traditional wine education centering itself on like France and its legalities for the first six weeks and then how much time do we spend about the US? But we're, we're, we're all Americans in that wine class. Yeah, and yeah. We're, not, we're, not, we're not excited, we're not engaged, we're not curious about wine from places like Michigan, Ohio, Virginia, Texas, Maryland, Vermont, New Hampshire, all these places that are around us that are making very good wine and we just have this like chip on our shoulder that says, well, it's from that place. But, but why wouldn't we seek that out? You know, yeah. like there's very good wine, there's very good champagne that French people found in New Mexico that you and I have probably had on a wine list sometime. Yeah, yeah. And I think every time you put that on, someone says, New Mexico, like out loud, full breath, and their, their mind gets blown. Yeah. And it's like, if you can think about that, if, if, if that's the way that we, we need to talk about this, right? We're so close to a place called Early Mountain here in D.C. Oh, they're good friends. And, t t I mean, talk about wines like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we can say that, like, you, you want to talk about, like, what your dollar goes to. You want to talk about this idea of decolonization, right? Let's think about what that truly means. Like, in a very, very academic context, decolonization is returning the roots back to indigeneity and, like, what's around us. And so if we strip that to, to a very, very elemental thing when it comes to, like, what are we getting out of this? Like, who's here and who's stewarding this project, right? Is it the people that, that need this the most? Is it the people who maybe can contribute something to the conversation differently? Is it maybe somebody who's just thinking about this differently? You open up the floodgates of all those things that we were talking about earlier about glossing over language, right? Then, oh, then all these gates open up. This is why I'm so like adamant about talking to people about, you know, your cultural references are the things that's your treasure. Like that's, yeah, that's the thing that so we get to like talk about, right? You have, uh, um, this is quoting Miguel to Miguel, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you, you got interviewed by, uh, like a Filipino news outlet, ABS CBN. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a big one for for the Filipinos who are listening no, I know, to this. One. <laughs> I know. Well, and and you, uh, it was it was a me. It's kind of it's a really cool piece, but it's it's clear it's written for a domestic audience because you just slip into Tagalog like uh, like phrases and stuff, and um, you know with the fluidity of you know classic authors moving between French and Latin, you know. Uh, it's like the Joyce and like untranslated, uh, you know, kind of phrases, but um, uh, and, and un, uh, some of it I, I tried, I tried, but like some of it would just the, the, the Google Translate was not not uh, fond of. But uh, your quote was, uh, "My Filipinoness is the only way that I understand how to navigate this space." That being the restaurant industry, when people say you need to leave your baggage at the door, I can't. Mm -hmm. um, and I like that idea, and and you know, to my mind. Um, you know, the, the challenge, the push-pull for the sake of the industry is, is one of being attached to archetypes and, and not questioning the archetypes. Um, you know, historically, so much of what we take for granted about the wine world, the industry, the archetypes that we exalt is a creature of the last half century, a mm -hmm. century. Um, and, you know, if we were talking about the world of wine in 1850, it would look very different, you know, than, than, it, than it does today. And, you know... There's this, you know, desire to honor these archetypes and, you know, to understand what is so, you know, special about them and to, you know, use them 
um, you know, as these, um, you know, kind of way to understand this vocabulary um, yeah. that we, we ultimately use to, to understand the rest of the wine world. But, you know, I, I think concurrently, and, and I think that is, that is useful um, to some extent, if you are, you know, getting into to wine and trying to understand its modern history. You know, where you stumble, though, is that it invites people out. It essentially limits people that, you know, um, don't, aren't, aren't excited about that frame of reference and don't feel like they have a seat at that table for, yeah. for any reason. And, um, you know, which is why I, I feel like, you know, the most compelling tasting notes are the ones that are the most personal, you yeah. know. Um, and and, and uh, you've spoken about, like, you know, uh, your Loire Valley, you know, kind of Cabernet Franc reference being tamarind, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Sauvignon, you know, tastes like star fruit, like all yeah, these. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I think to the extent that we can create space for people to bring, you know, those associations to the fore, you know, you're just broadening you know, the, the um, universe of people that love this thing and have access to it. Yeah, and, I mean, and there's, there's, there's two parallels that I would draw from. Well, first, it's very similar to, like, you know, what you've just spoken about is very similar to, like, here's a museum, right? Here's a, here's a museum of things that we talk about in terms of our developing our vocabulary and, like, figuring out, like, what, what are aesthetics like, you know, or, like, what, what is beauty, you know? Is that those just, are, yeah. But, like, those are things that we like to question totally. in spices yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And then you, you go to a very, like, contemporary gallery, for example, and then it's the same thing, right? That's like, who are these people? What, what makes these, what makes this art important right now? And it's the same thing. We can, we can, we can cross off art and just write wine. And it's the same question making that we get to ask. Yeah. The other thing that I want to talk about is that, so there's a sommelier from Zimbabwe who's now in South Africa. His name's Tanashi Nyamadoka. And he talks about this idea of terroir very, very beautifully, right? He says, if terroir and like the way that, that we think about this is something that's supposed to be like correct, right? I want to think about terroir, or or it, it's about wine of origin, right? If a wine of origin tells me that this wine can get grounded in a place, it it we can logically think about terroir the same way as that. It's where is this taking me? Like mm -hmm. where where is the future of this wine going to end up? And I think that that's a way more interesting, way more kind of like question driven future-driven way of kind of thinking about wine. Because, yeah, absolutely, you're right in that vintage matters and climate matters and the people who help make that thing matter. But at the end of the day, if, like, if, you, if you're making it and then you don't do anything with it, like, what are you doing, you know? And yeah. so the, the impact, the outsized impact of like when we think about how we experience wine, whether or not it's in human time or geologic time, right? The Jura waited 10,000 years for us to taste it the way that we do. The, the Burgundy tastes the way that it does because it waited for us for a couple thousand because years. Because of ancient shallow seas. Yeah, yeah. dinosaurs didn't give a <laughs> shit about us. But like the, the, the idea of terroir being so precious to one thing, one person, one place, it's like you can extend that same kind of individuality and expression to a certain person who's receiving it on the other side. No, totally. Right? So terroir, I think, works both ways. It's expansive, and the bottle's the thing that like really hits the middle. And whatever it is and the inside, whether or not it's coat roti or, you know, a wine alternative, there's something in there for somebody who, who you know, they're going to glom onto it. Like you said, pers the, the, the closest of how, how personal a tasting note is tends to be the ones that, like, people stick, right? But I also say that, like, specificity can be helpful up to a certain point, right? I can't go to your grandmother's attic and, like, smell what that yeah, is. Yeah, 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 but, totally. But we can, we can say, this reminds me of. 
like that smell when I open a box. Yeah, it's it's like good writing though. You know, you find the you find the universal and the local, and it, it doesn't. Absolutely. I think to some extent, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't matter if I know what your grandmother's attic smells like. You know, I know what my own smells like, yeah. and and I can I can imagine as much. And exactly. and and you know, um, you know, there's something you know profound and poetic about you know the fact that you've been able to make that inference. And you know, I'll make different ones. You know, but <laughs> yeah. um, you know, by the by the same token, you know, it still gives me an idea. You know, of of what what something is like. And, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's just. And like it tells me say, something like about you, you too. To extend the metaphor, right? It's like it's just it's just there's a reason why we stop writing cliches. We, we're always looking for like a really beautiful, like poetic simile. And, and we, do that, we do that every day with wine. How many, times, how many times have you described wine the same way? And it's like four different bottles. No, no, totally. Like, and, and I get, I, I actually love, um, I love tasting with other people, especially in a more academic setting. Um, uh, you know, and I love tasting with other people and I love to, tasting two wines side by side uh, because, you know, through someone else's experience of a, of a wine, you know, um, you get to feed your own kind of narrative of, about about what you're tasting, and you know that can be dangerous because it can be hugely suggestive, and you can kind of <laughs> lead each other down, you know, rabbit holes that are variously helpful or not, especially in the context of like blind tasting. But yeah, you know, I mean, it's always better with a group, right? Yeah, like, yeah. But, <laughs> but by the same token, I, I find you know um, being able to bounce ideas off each other um, is is hugely hugely valuable. Um, so I shared um, with you, uh, Miguel, a, a shrub, and um, shrubs have been a big part of our um, drink program, particularly at Tale of Goat, which is um, uh, the older of uh, the two restaurants I preside over. And uh, we always started the meal with a shrub. Mm. Um, the original shrub was a celery shrub, which was hugely divisive. Um, I say it was like the New York Dolls of shrubs. Like, <laughs> like uh, four out of five people hated it, but the one out of five that liked it were really Loved into it. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, exactly. For and sure. um, uh, but uh, this is more approachable. This is uh, uh, like a grapefruit uh, rosemary shrub, and we'll we'll post the recipe to this. Um, uh, it's considerably sweeter than the drink you brought, um, but necessarily so because it's you know louder. You know, it's kind of punk rock. It's like yeah, all vinegar, a lot more, a lot more angles. screaming. Yeah, screaming vinegar, raging. Um, you know, citrus. It's and not angry though. No, no. I think it's balanced. It's that. I mean, that's 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 the hope. And uh, we serve these kind of as the opposite of a palate cleanser. So to my mind, it's more of like um, yeah. an EKG. It's like a you know paddles for the yeah. uh, for the palate. To, a proper aperitivo. Yeah, yeah. To to start the to start the meal. And and we've always we've always done that. Um, I liked the idea of anchoring people's experience of the place in a drink just to start as welcome. And um, I like the idea that the first experience of the restaurant was this weird vinegar drink. It's also like a, it's a good kind of like slap to the face, right? Yeah, it's that's, like, that's, that's welcome so, to this place well, that exactly, doesn't do champagne to start. No, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and also too, I think it's, um, you know, we always hoped that at their best, the restaurants functioned as this space outside of time, you know, and, and you know, that's, that's what restaurants can do. You know, the very word itself refers to these like restorative broths mm -hmm. yeah. um, that, you know, people drank the early 19th century. Um, and, um, you know, having something that kind of, you know, shocks your senses a little bit, you know, it, it, it puts you in a different headspace in, yeah. in kind of a, a cool way. But uh, the drink itself, um, thought to evolved in like the 17th, 18th century. Um, people have been drinking vinegar for as long as there's been wine. Mm -hmm. There's a great old winemaker's expression that God loves to make vinegar. So as long as there's been wine, there have been flies hanging out near wine, dropping acetobacter that turns alcohol into acetic acid into vinegar. And uh, the Romans and the Greeks drank essentially like 
um, uh, aromatized uh, vinegars um, uh, called posca as uh, medicinal textures, and um, that got carried into the modern era once um, citrus and refined sugar emerged. And there was kind of like this dual trajectory where you had a set of shrubs that were alcoholic, and like Martha Washington was bringing you, yeah. you know, um, uh, her shrub um, when entertaining, and then another set that was kind of more you know, in the jam jelly territory, this, you know, tradition of, of preservation. And um, th this belongs more to, to that. Um, and, you know, you would just throw a bunch of fruit in a jar, sugar and acid along with it, and you could revisit the season um, subsequently. And, and, you know, especially if you use like a living vinegar, it, it develops and evolves in, sure. you know, myriad and fascinating kinds of ways. But um, to me, it, it offered us a way to serve something that, again, you know, felt a little more adult than, yeah. um, you know, your average, you know, soft drink. Um, and, you know, that but we do, could... A, a quick question. Do kids really like this drink, too? It's, they're divisive for kids. Um, it's interesting. Like, um, I, some kids do. Um, I think it depends on the kid. Um, some kids do. Some kids, you know... Um, At first, they're like, it's juice. And then it's like, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> what kind of fucked up juice is yeah. this? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I mean, so I mean more like for like the emergent drinker, right? So someone who's like in middle school, maybe or in high school. Yeah, totally. appreciate something like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, th I think it is, it is a little more sophisticated um, and, you know, more interesting for for that sake, and and they're fun with food. You know, they're they're loud voices, but they're great with food. Yeah, yeah, but the the vinegar of it all um, just wants to go with food. You know, acid is is the lifeblood of yeah. of pairing right. of wine acid, and pairing. Acid yeah. loves acid, loves acid. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, and, and it opens up all these you know amazing possibilities um, for the sake of you know playing with you know food and and drink and and you know the the, the shrubs have become you know a way for us to to explore that and kind of a staple of. You know, to the extent that we have a non-alcoholic beverage program, yeah, um, everything's a program. Yeah, uh, you, you don't yeah, serve yeah, yeah. coffee; you have a coffee program. program. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah, my my bathroom program. Yeah. Just down <laughs> <laughs> um, at, at any rate, but uh, you know, it, it, it's been an important part of that. And um, you know, uh, there there's another book to mention here, uh, uh, and and I'll post links to both of these. But uh, it is not very creatively named. It's called Shrubs, fittingly, uh, by uh, Michael Deitch and. Um, yeah, equally, um, you know, has been valuable to us um, uh, for the sake of, you know, trading ideas and, and trying out new things. And, um, you know, we are constantly, you know, moving through produce at the restaurant. And, you know, this gives us a way to use, you know, seconds mm -hmm. and, Absolutely. Um, you know, and equally, you know, play with a, a, a beverage that's, you know, distinctly seasonal. Yeah. Um, uh, there's, um, there's some parallels that I, I mean, growing up, we, like shrubs, weren't really part of the conversation, although they did exist. Yeah, um, it was more Thai, like in in the Thai. Yeah, drinking vinegars are yeah like a huge thing there. Absolutely, yeah. and we like we would vacation there a fair amount growing up, and so I understood this to be like, I mean, this was like lemonade, right? We put this with soda water, or they usually throw something like that with Sprite, and that was what I drank as a child. Oh, cool. And like that, okay, like I get that as a as a beverage. It's like it's just lemonade, but like that's the fruit is like that. Yeah. Um, this is, I mean, very reminiscent of a lot of like that um, we were talking about earlier about that that Filipino flavor of like sour and funky, yeah, like the intersection of those two things. And I think that this really hits it. There's a really lovely kind of like lactic flavor to it too. Yeah, uh, sometimes. And what's cool for me about these drinks too is you can you can um, start to deploy a lot of techniques you might use in alcoholic drinks in a non-alcoholic uh, context. Julia does that really well in good drinks. Um, and uh, 
you know, very often we'll, we'll make what's called an oleosaccharum, yeah. um, uh, which is basically like uh, citrus peels um, uh, that um, macerate with sugar until the whole thing turns to this like lovably gooey, oily yeah. mess. Um, that's a, a hugely traditional punch base. And uh, it works, you know, really nicely as a shrub base um, as well, and gives you this this viscosity again. Yeah. That that um, you know, th these have a shit ton of sugar in them. Like, uh, but text I mean, that that's also kind of why texturally they're so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it gives you something really. It's a really mouth coating experience in the best way. Yeah. Um, you really want food. You really want yeah. food yeah, yeah. immediately afterwards, right? Like you could you could go. I could go for pile of wings. Or like, oh, wings a, are good. or like a bowl of noodles immediately after yeah. this. You want big like, flavors though. I'm, I mean, why not? Like, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> why, 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 why like lose the time? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, let's say, let's talk about delicacy then. Um, this isn't, this isn't out of place with say like a very good cut of hamachi on a nigiri plate. I always, like, I always, I, I always struggle with, uh, you know, Japanese food is so much about texture and you know these subtleties mm -hmm. of and and you know my you know kind of initial frame of reference as, as someone in the food world is you know southern mediterranean and um you know the other foods that i love you know are you know korean filipino you know um northeastern thai they're 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 huge they're, they're just like big punchy mm -hmm. massive flavors and sometimes i i feel like i just struggle in this universe that is just like so hyper. That's all like just nuanced. Yeah, nuance, yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair. Yeah, um, but but I mean, I by equally, you know, it's like staying. You know, I I, I don't listen to his music, but I, I respect the fact that it exists. You know, and <laughs> yeah. and for the same, like I I just wanna. It's this place where you do, you you need to force yourself to slow down. You need to force yourself to just kind of like yeah dive into the minutia of it all. And and I wanna, I wanna sit in that quiet and I wanna understand it. I just sometimes I just feel like you know, this crazy, you know, bouncing off the walls, you know, kind of like, you know, you know, flavor hunter that is incapable of that. And, and I find with wine too, like that's why sake works so well with those things. Yeah, yeah, sake yeah. is actually lower acid than, yeah. but, than wine but, but and it's also, so textural but also, too. But also designed to replace rice from the meal. I'm not like, I'm not sure if a lot of people know that, Yeah, but you know, the, when people always do sushi and sake, I'm like, oh, you're doubling up on your rice. Like, That's true. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You got yeah. chill. Like, well, it's, it's, it's more sashimi that like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but there's, there's, I mean, obviously those are also kind of cultural anchors that like we're lucky to, to internalize totally. and have understand. But at the same time, I'm also just kind of like, Maybe just follow your heart a little bit and that's okay. Well, Maybe, what are your, this is totally off, off uh, topic, yeah. but what are your favorite raw fish pairings? Um, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of just bringing things like, I like bombast, right? So clearly I love bombastic wine. Yeah. Like orange wine, something that's, maybe something like Tom Lobby makes over at Matassa. Or okay. maybe something that comes out of like the Partita Creus crowd. Mm -hmm. So really like extracted, um, unfined, unfiltered, minimal, if any, sulfur. Yeah. Um, and the flavor is just kind of the thing that rolls, right? You start off with something that smells a little bit like big yeah. and then you taste it and it's even bigger but it's all like white wine you know so that that kind of yeah. that medley of everything happening all at once is pretty great um so for me whenever i go into like a, an omakase place or something those wines tend to be a fun challenge because they're already umami bombs yeah and so i'm looking for something that's going to deliver the same way um so uni is a really it's a it's a proper match for things like that I really like um, hamachi, 
same thing, like something really fatty. And then I like bluefish a lot, so things like sardines, mackerel. Oh, those are great. Those are fun to pair um, with, too. But they, they're asking for each other almost. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, they're like, yeah. they're fish that want an accompaniment. Yeah, they're, totally. It's, the rice is also just, it's just yawning for something else, whether or not it's wasabi or orange wine or something yeah. else. I think it, it's, they're very good matches for each other. And then, I don't know, I'm also that asshole who like ex asks for extra ginger because I'll just snack on it because it's so good. It is delicious. <laughs> well, and it serves a different function, and you know there are different ways of preparing to function, too. Yeah. You know, the, the ginger is there as a palate cleanser. Yeah. And, you know, wine can kind but, of like... But so is the wine. Yeah, exactly. Quote, you know, right? so, so sometimes, you know, as a pairing, wine is this, you know, it's kind of squeegee brush that resets things, and sometimes it's this synergistic force that is like know. elevating I, the... How do you feel about wine pairings? It depends. It de really depends there, on like the vibe yeah, for a so lot it's, of Yeah, so it's interesting. A lot of, like, I feel like the cool thing to say now is that you know pairings are bollocks and like you know you need to <laughs> open a bottle and explore you know explore it over a variety of different you know kind of sure um courses and stuff like that but i love i love pairing you know it feels like this authorial thing sure you know it feels like um you know curating an experience for somebody and, yeah, and it's definitely you know, much more like delineated to the point of view that we're yeah to say, yeah right? and, and I, I think you know i think it it should be done in the right spirit, you know, it should, you know, be more about living in the mystery of how food and wine go together than, you know, applying, you know, particular, you know, precepts or, you know, saying that X or Y must go with, with, you yeah. know, or you're wrong if you don't like this or anything along those lines. Yeah. But, you know, in the context of using that to introduce people to all these fluid styles for the sake of, you know, and cuisine. pink, yeah, pink, orange, and introducing all these strange bedfellows for the sake of, you know, yeah. Western wine at all with Filipino cuisine or, yeah, or whatever. Like, yeah. I mean, we're we're doing some things at the restaurant, for example. Like, I'm I'm pouring people some blueberry wine. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, I'm pouring people things made with guava. Yeah, and it's really interesting to kind of just kind of get people out of the mindset, even if it's just for you know one night. It's like, why? Yes, wine, but this is also wine. Or just but like this is also wine. yeah. Or just like broadening <laughs> the way they think about wine. So like, throw piquette in there. Yeah, throw, yeah, yeah. So so I mean, I just think. I think there are opportunities there, and you know, I think you know the way pairings have been pursued historically has felt really, you know, sterile and cold. But I don't think it has to be that. I think I could can be like super, super fun, and and for me, it feels like an opportunity to um, introduce people to things that they might not take on otherwise. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of wines that like are so amazing as like a one track. You know, maybe you don't want to listen to the whole album. But that's like one track, yeah. you know, fucking slaps, yeah. and you know, you, you should try it out, and and those end up being some of my favorite wines, yeah. honestly. Um, sure. You know, maybe you don't want like a, a bottle of Vigeon, but like you know, you'll try it Look for it this goes course. A long way, right? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. And and so that that excites me. Um, all right, I'm gonna read a bit of verse, and then we'll we'll um, close out with sure. a few more questions. Um, I was really excited to kind of stumble upon this. I didn't realize the poet laureate of Virginia is a Filipina-American woman um, born in the Philippines. Um, the current reigning poet laureate, um, awesome. uh, Luisa A. Ingloria. Um, and this is a poem that's seasonally appropriate called Orchard. It's fall, season of the apple, iconic fruit of this America, mounds of excess littering the grounds of orchards from want of, from, sorry, from want of migrant hands to pick the harvest clean. There read the banner of every girl or woman who tips her head up to the knowledge of her power, which means she can see the way things work in the world and chooses not to be shamed any longer for calling it. For what did the hissing in the leaves tell her she didn't already know? 
or the laughter behind closed doors when she ran, groping her way out. Don't pretend you don't know what I want, said every snake in the grass. Survival means no one dies, but someone is forced to take the fall. The smallest bird, the lowest fruit. Though the fruit isn't to blame for its sheen, nor the star for marking the place where its light was last seen. I just wanted to ask you, like, I, in the context of, of this podcast, I tried to, you know, stay away from the pandemic question just because sure. I think those of us in the restaurant industry are tired of talking about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, read about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure I've written um, about it somewhere. <laughs> uh, you know, um, you know, how do you feel like you're changing your your understanding of wine culture uh, has changed in the last few years, for for better or worse? I mean, it turned it's turned upside down. Yeah, really. You know, I was I was a person who subscribed to the idea of. The, the hierarchy, the tradition, et cetera. Um, I was part and party to that for a little bit because I didn't understand my role in it. You could feel very lonely, but still feel like the system was like there somehow to make sure that you were legitimized in some form or fashion. And now to, to be given a pen, right, literally, and to, to, to be given a blank piece of paper Do you feel like you were given a pen or do you feel like you claimed a pen? Maybe both. Yeah. Um, I wrote something that led to something being given to me, so that helps. Uh, James Beard Award. <laughs> sure. Um, but I, I mean, I started off, I started off um, 2020, I think that was going to be my year, right? It was my third revolution. The year of Miguel. It was, 2020 was going to be like my third revolution around my zodiac. It's a big thing in the Chinese astrology. Uh, so you're the year be, of the... I'm the rat. Oh, nice. So it was my third return, and your return years are supposed to be difficult. And 2020 was fucking difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's So, <laughs> um, what, you know, we, we can talk about the, the aspects of like George Floyd's murder that like blew our entire industry apart. But more importantly for me, I got to talk about what we had already been experiencing and talking about it in the way that's like, hey, here's the things that we've noticed. Here's how you can get yourself out of it. And it was a, like an action list item called actionable things for the wine community. And that, that article, whatever that was, people started noticing. And they, it started getting passed around. People were reading it. And then uh, Punch approached me and then was like, here, here's your big pen. Here's your big sheet of paper. Like write about the thing that you just wrote about because no one else in this room can write it. And that was, I was really grateful for that. And that's, that's also helped me kind of open my eyes to the things that I was kind of reifying and saying yes to when it was right next to me that I could have been changing these things, right? It, we changed the idea of being a role model just because of who we are to being a champion for the people that look like us. And that's a really big role shift. That's a really big paradigm shift in terms of your activity or your, your role in the action of something. And that's way more meaningful to me now because I'm not, I'm not just a student, right? I'm, I'm actively teaching as I'm learning yeah. and I'm bringing people up with me. And like it's yeah. the choice that we get to open somebody else's door. Yeah. So that, that was the big thing for me is that you, white, culture, white culture looks wildly different. It looks way more colorful and thank God. Yeah. Um, when I, I think um, there's much more willingness to um, tackle, you know, um, you know, these issues that have existed for a long time or... or mm -hmm. um, but I think it, it really just stemmed from being honest. Like, I just yeah. wanted to be like, I didn't, I, 
the code switching was getting too tiring. <laughs> okay. Let's say. And I think I think the easiest thing for me was it's like I can just I just want to be honest about how I relate to this thing any yeah. now, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like we can pretend to know what a fucking gooseberry tastes like, but you feel more freedom to be Miguel now and not play oh, the role uh, yeah, of yeah. yeah, I mean I don't I mean this is I I'm wearing currently like a very dressed up version of the uniform that I have for myself at the restaurant. And if you can't see me, it's just jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. And like, that's, I, I can be myself in that space a hundred percent. I've given myself license to be in that space a hundred percent, but I also get to afford everyone who works with me that same kind of freedom. Yeah. Like that's way more liberating to me as a restaurant and wine culture is that, you know, we're not just, we're not just the idea of like magic hand service. It doesn't just happen. It's like, now it's a conversation. Yeah. And I think that that's way more meaningful for people who come back to the restaurant because they like engaging that way. Do you think guests are more receptive to that than they have been before? It's, it's both ways. They're either way more receptive or way more dismissive. Oh, interesting. So you see both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think people are, there's, there's a recoil to how people are like, oh, this place is too woke kind of thing. Oh, and yeah. And you're like, okay, well, yeah. then this isn't. You know what I mean? It's like it's like telling somebody. It's like it's like me asking you. Is there is like, there such a thing as like a woke, what's a woke wine list look like? Oh, though? I don't know. Maybe mine. <laughs> I don't know. Like it, maybe something. Maybe something that just like pushes a boundary. Maybe just yeah, something that yeah, like yeah. doesn't doesn't read the same. Maybe something that doesn't something that's say, unfamiliar. Maybe okay. something that doesn't say France first, right? Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. That's that's a that's enough of a conversation starter for a lot of totally. folks. And I think wine lists that look different. I mean, we can talk about wine lists all day, but I think that one of the things that we get to do as people who who do make decisions for places about how people drink is that the way that we present that information can be like super artful, have a really interesting point of view. Quote Carly Rae Jepsen. Maybe political, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it could also, it could just be didactic where you only read it one way yeah, and yeah, it yeah. looks like an index of a book. Yeah. Like not to say that that's boring. It's just that the way that you're present, you're presenting your information tells somebody that the way that you converse here is one way as opposed to the other. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you are you're kind of you know creating a mood. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's and a vibe. It's all yeah, about totally. A vibe. Yeah, exactly. And, and there are a lot of different ways you do that as a restaurant, but I think certainly the the, the wine list is one, and um, the music you play is one. How yeah. you approach a table is one. How the yeah, how the servers dress, you name it. And yeah. and um, you know, I think the exciting thing for those of us that love wine is it feels like there are a lot of different ways to enjoy it now. Yeah. Um, it and is, it's, it's, it's art and performance and commerce kind of all rolled up into one, right? Yeah, it's totally. The way, the way that you make questions at your restaurant about how a guest makes a decision for a by-the-glass selection that evening maybe looks very different from mine, but at the end of the day, like, our vocabularies are the same as wine directors. Yeah. <laughs> and we get to be really, really cheeky about how we might be able to present that information or not. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's there's more of a, I hope there's more freedom um, for people from various walks of life who have fallen sufficiently far down this rabbit hole to have, you know, a creative voice in it. You know, there's more freedom for them to show a little more of themselves, mm-hmm. to, you know, take a few more creative chances yeah. to, It's you know, okay to have pictures on a wine list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, to be, to be, yeah, to be, you know, um, a little more, you know, irreverent. You know, I mean, you could take that too far. You could be too irreverent. You know, don't get me wrong, but like... I don't think so. I mean, it's wine <laughs> after all, right? Like, I think there's always the right wine for the, for the right kind of thing. Yeah, totally. There's, there's, there's an infinite amount of bottles made by infinite amount of people. And I think that's, that's something that, that you got to remember is that whenever someone calls themselves an expert in this field, I get a little skeptical. Yes. Because it's always like, how... You don't know. You don't know anything. Well, and it's, it's funny too, I think, you know, 
What's interesting for me or, or, you know, the perspective I always try to take on is, is the one of winemakers. And uh, I find, you know, more often than not, they are the first people to admit, you know, having devoted their lives to this alchemical, you know, transformation of juice into wine. They're the ones, you know, quickest to admit, you know, there's so much they yet to, you know, kind of wrap their heads around about it and yet to understand about it. And, you know, they're equally, you know, wanting to kind of live in the mystery of the thing itself, live in the mystery of the wine and not yeah. necessarily like totally dictate your experience of it. Yeah, woo-woo is a little okay, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and I think like more often than not, they want to like understand how the thing came into being, understand how the, you know, natural forces that, you know, shaped, you know, its journey to the glass, you know, um, you know, kind of how that all went down. And, and they're less invested in like spoon feeding tasting notes or, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that has always, that has always appealed to me. No. Um, I think tasting notes are useful and, you know, they're useful yeah, in some yeah, context, yeah, right? Yeah. But I feel like you get to a point where all the tasting notes tend to look the same. Totally. And, and, and then, and then you're like, okay, well, is it, what is it? What are you looking at here? Am yeah, and it's infinitely it? less rewarding than just drinking the fucking wine itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, one more question for you, sir. Thank you so much for giving up so much of your time. Um, uh, as an avid uh, cook um, uh, and wine drinker, I wanted you to kind of uh, lay down a favorite Filipino dish to make um, and uh, what you'd want to drink alongside. It could be anything. Uh, the to the make, beverage well, well, I'll tell you things that, that I like to make. Um, Adobo is very easy to make. Yeah. Everybody has their own recipe. I got mine from my grandmother. Naturally. <laughs> um, and I, I like mine very peppery. Okay. So um, dark meat chicken, white vinegar, soy sauce, a little bit of water, bay leaf, tons of garlic, tons of black pepper. Set it and forget it. Right? Oh, wow. I like mine saucy. Um, and that, talk about punchy. Like, yeah. That's like, that's going to take you a place. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of sugar to kind of maybe even it all out, but... That's it. And then usually serve that over like day old rice. Um, oh, you like the day old rice for that application? Yeah, come, it, it soaks up the sauce better. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, it's like panzanella, uh -huh. but uh, yeah. But, but rice, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's very much a thing that I make for myself as comfort. Oh, cool. Um, the other thing that's that like I, your chicken soup. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the other thing that I would make would be kind of like a, like a sour beef broth. Oh, cool. Um, or sour pork broth, rather. So, um, Use bones for that? Or, uh... Yeah, so we'd get like pork, like hawk or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then some like really like fatty cuts. Um, throw that in with some like daikon, tomato, uh, a broth, and then like sour it up either with tamarind or like calamansi uh, or maybe even some uh, like fresh lime, if you can't find any of those, a little bit of vinegar goes a long way also. And then... I feel like there's always vinegar. Yeah, and then you zhuzh it up with maybe like some shrimp or something like that. And yeah, then yeah. some dark greens like... Well, I mean, what, what I've been using recently is things like kale or um, collard greens to so just like throw that I in love, there. I love a collard. And it's sour and it's savory and it's it's what you want when, it, when the weather's like this where it's raining and yeah. cold and a little gloomy. But... Um, it's sour, sour, sour. Like my, my, I have, there's a, it's a good thing that I'm a wine person because I'm such an acid freak. Acid freak, yeah. Like sparkling water all the way, you know what I mean? But, yeah. um, to drink with those things, I, I, there's, let's see, I, I'm a sucker for Syrah out of the fridge. Um, oh, fascinating. Yeah. San Josef uh, who's Syrah? Of, like, oh yeah, Northern, Northern Rhone. Yeah, Northern okay. Rhone, San Josef out of the fridge is like 
That's a good, that's like a song title. It was a revelation. That's like, a, what was the, isn't there a, like a Bruno Mars, like Versace on the floor? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Saint Joseph in the French. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah. That's a good one. Um, but yeah, that was the first time I, uh, hats off to Patrick Capiello, who like introduced no, me cool. to Cold Syrah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was one of the first times where I was like, oh, I'm never, that's, that's a never turning back kind of moment. Yeah, wow. yeah. Um, I especially like that with that kind of food. I also really like, um, like, I, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm a big fan of like bombastic flavors, so orange wine that's yeah. pushed to the limit. Um, you know the usual suspects, right? So Matassa, uh, Radicon, um, Partita Creus. Yeah. Uh, and then sometimes just to like be the, historic, the historic nerd that I am, um, I like investigating what Spanish wine does to the cuisine okay. a lot. So, um, do you it, want like uh, some hipster Catalan shit? Or do oh you want yeah. Some, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends too, because sometimes, you know, there, there was a little bit of sherry kind of in the cupboard growing up. Oh. And so that's reminiscent of yeah. some things. Well, I mean, there are, there are fun hipster natural wine things happening in sherry too, especially oh, with absolutely. a lot of the, <laughs> the unfortified wines oh, yeah. on the floor that like feel like they'd be tailor made for oh, yeah. your, your sour, absolutely. your sour soups. Absolutely. It's like the Jura wishes. And so those yeah. are, those yeah, are some yeah. of the things that like I really engage with currently. I'm doing a little bit of research for this podcast that we're working on for Discorgis that, that's really tracking this idea about how Spain um, and the diaspora of Spain continued to impact us in our daily lives. So we're investigating places like um, uh, Catalonia um, and uh, places like Galicia within Spain and then outside of Spain, um, the Canary Islands, uh, the Caribbean, the African coast, South America, Mexico, California, all the way to the Philippines. And all of those things have something to do with Spain. And all of those things get impacted with the, how they eat and how they drink, but especially how they drink, but especially how they drink because of the reference to Catholicism. So all these things like I, I get to do homework for, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. And it's really lovely that I just can kind of pull, here's a Spanish reference, and then here's a thing that we talk about and that's made with corn in Mexico, and that's made with rice in the Philippines, and the tamales over here look different from the tamales over there, but they're also called tamales. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of well. That, that, that's the kind of stuff that I, I really like now, and I'm really lucky that I just kind of get to open whatever I want on the Spanish cupboard for that. That's cool. I really like Shirello, um with a lot of that food. It's Shirello, like, the, like, it's like and Catalan like, Riesling. Yeah, Shirello and like um, this aged Edam cheese. Ask your Filipino friends about queso de bola. Okay. And... Give the, give them some aged Shirello as a gift because man that is nice. a killer pairing. Love it. Um, but yeah, like that's I I like opening up the cupboard as much as I as I do for for the pantry that I reach into in terms of the flavors that remind me of where I come from. But just as much as as that, I also really like opening the wine like the wine door to yeah, know yeah. like where I can get to. Awesome man. Um, so you are, you know, you've reached like a Jay-Z, you know, I'm not a businessman, I'm a businessman uh, <laughs> level um, uh, for sake of uh, the projects that you have um, ongoing. Uh, where can people find you? Um, literally, physically, I'm, uh, I don't know where I'll be, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, most of the time... You're, you're on, you're on the, the internets, though. Yeah, most of the yeah. time I'm at Pinch Chinese in Soho, in Manhattan, okay. in New York. Yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise, you can find me on Instagram, I'm at MiguelD1, or on my website, Miguel Dash. Which is fucking awesome, great website. Thank you. Strong photos. I made it myself. It's, no, it's really, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great site. Um, uh, links to a lot of your writing there. Yes, um, and yeah. then obviously um, take a look at drinkproxies.com coming this month. 
Um, they don't have you. They don't have you up yet. Cause, not uh, yet. Not yet. Uh, but soon. But the the club release for this year, uh, for this month rather, is going to be. That's so exciting. Um, yeah. So uh, Sean Brock and um, Shanice Mack were the uh, the the first um, couple collaborators, and now. Miguel de Leon. I get to be number three. Pretty that's pretty, lucky. That's pretty kick-ass, man. Um, uh, thank you, sir, uh, for joining us. Absolutely. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, once again, we will, you know, one way or another, uh, find a way to bring this in uh, and uh, make it available at Revelers Hour for purchase. Uh, thank you, as ever, for listening to The Universe in a Glass. Stay thirsty and stay tuned.